Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 19th episode of the Shameless Picture Show podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nick Richards, and I typically am introduced by our other co-host, Michael Viers, but once again, reality has stepped in, shaken its evil fist at us, and said, you know what, it's not going to happen this week for the two of you. Um, mostly on me. I'm a grown-up. I make no apologies, so suck it. <laughs> no, don't. That, that was unnecessarily cruel for no reason. I'm just lashing out. I apologize. Actually, there's a very good chance it's the fumes in here. I'm coming to you pre-recorded from the wonderful studios at Midshore Community Television. Uh, and the we, we have a theater stage one floor up that's currently being refinished. And the, uh, the sealant or shellac that they're using is quite potent and uh, the, the air here is hazy and I'm starting to hallucinate, so bear with me. Also, if my uh, audio seems a little sideways today, it's because I pulled something in my neck last night and now I can't keep my head straight. I'm in quite a lot of pain, hopped up on painkillers, so this is going to be a fun episode. Buckle up, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I thought I'd take today to talk about, well, let let me start somewhere else. I have a very unpopular opinion about something. I've shared it many times, and the reaction is usually, wow, you're an idiot. (laughs) So brace yourselves, buckle up. Buckle up, buckaroo! My opinion is that Shakespeare is overrated. Uh, I was a an English major for a while, um, took a Shakespeare class amongst other literature classes, and uh, everyone rolled their eyes at me whenever I said it. Shakespeare is overrated. Now to clarify, I don't think Shakespeare is bad. He is clearly a great writer. But my issue is hero worship. That, that there is this belief that he is somehow superhuman when it comes to creating art. Um, I, I have the same problem with the concept of brilliance. Brilliance makes it seem like you're inherently better at something than anyone else. And, and while that may be partially true, it tends to filter out the idea that these people are good at what they do because they work really hard at it all the time. It, when you think of someone as brilliant, putting them up on a pedestal like that, you tend to filter out the idea that they've made mistakes. It makes it seem unattainable. And that's frustrating for me. I, I see so many artists talented artists, people making really good stuff that beat themselves up because this one thing that they're creating right now isn't brilliant. You know what? It may not be brilliant, but there's a lot of good in it. And there are flaws in everything, even those things created by those like Shakespeare. And there's a lot of secondary problems that comes with this kind of hero worship and you see it with actors all the time that um 
the these major A-list actors that there there's that fandom you go up to them and you melt and you can't talk when you you shake their hand and you say I loved you in this and then you swoon and try and get your picture taken with them it's like I get it you know I've I've fan fanboyed out myself uh, um, I was at a, a Gen Con last year and met a an internet celebrity that I'm really into and I I got a little Twitter painted. But he's just a dude, and he's doing cool things. But he's just a dude, and we can achieve that too. By, I think when you put people up on a pedestal, you, it kind of puts blinders on legitimate analysis of their work. When when I criticize Rome, elements of Romeo and Juliet, you get the the Shakespeare fans that that reco- how how could you dare you write something better it's like well no i i can't write something better but that doesn't mean that there's there isn't legitimate places to criticize um now criticism should always be taken with a grain of salt balance it with the good but when you blindly say it's brilliant it it prevents you from looking at it in a balanced way Writing something off as terrible and not acknowledging the things that the art did well is just as bad as blindly thinking that it's good and ignoring the, the problems. Uh, it also tends... Uh, how, how do I want to word that? You're more likely to ignore other great artists of the same caliber so when when people are freaking out about one particular director or one particular actor and they spend so much time focusing in on their body of work it's great to explore and 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 see as much of somebody as you can but once it gets to a level of that person can do no wrong i think it tends to narrow your periphery on what else is out there and it's also important to remember, and, and this argument is less valid when discussing Shakespeare, art, uh, uh, writers or, or paint and pencil, you know, visual artists, um, filmmaking is such a collaborative art that when you hero worship the, the, the face of the, of the film, excuse me, <clears throat> the actors that are get top billing, you tend to be less likely to recognize that that performance was so good because the director was so good and that the the words on the page were so good and that the visuals surrounding that actor were so good and the the not top-billed actors were so good. No person is an island in filmmaking. And it's important to keep that in mind. I really want somebody else to bounce this off of. I'm missing Michael at the moment. But um, that that was kind of what has been on my mind the last week. Um, as, as a subset, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day about Shakespeare specifically and, and the idea of puns. And I love puns. I, we talked a little about that during our um, Phantom Tollbooth episode uh, because it is rife with puns. 
Um, but I, I was talking with somebody about Shakespeare, and in the same conversation, they claimed that they hated puns and loved Shakespeare. And my reaction to that was, have you ever read Shakespeare? <laughs> he, it, his stuff is so laden with puns, and, and you look down on it as lazy writing or lazy comedy, and, you know, if, if puns aren't your thing, that's fine. But then don't, again, hero-worship somebody who uses that as one of their primary tools of the trade. So, rant over. Take, take it as you will. Um, I'm, I'm in no danger of being put up on any artistic pedestals, and, and you could argue that maybe I'm jealous i don't think i am i i really don't like the it, the sound of that makes me uncomfortable but um i guess it's a lot easier for me to say it from where i'm at so what have you guys been watching oh me well thanks for asking um i watched two things the other day we uh we had some family in town and uh it's it's my cousin-in-law and he's also a filmmaker, a really talented filmmaker. We've done a lot of projects together. So clearly when we get together, one of the major things that we do is, is watch uh, TV and film. Uh, so actually three things. I, I had forgotten one. Um, he introduced me to, and, and it's in, he picked one, I picked one, and then we kind of stumbled upon one randomly. So the one that he introduced me to is a series called Black Mirror. Uh, I believe they're, or at least on Netflix, uh, they're three seasons in. They're very short seasons, three to four episodes a season, uh, but they're hour-long episodes. Um, and what I loved in particular about Black Mirror is that it was an anthology series. Uh, in uh, like the Twilight Zone or, or Tales from the Crypt where each episode is its own standalone story and you don't get a whole lot of that. We'll actually be discussing an anthology film in our next episode when, when me and Michael get back together. I'll save some of the details, but I'm excited about that. So, so this idea of anthologies has been more prevalent in my life recently. And Black Mirror explores what happens when technology when a each episode is when a particular technology gets to be problematic when it becomes so prevalent or or holds enough power over our lives that dangerous things can happen um i believe we watched three episodes um the first being i don't have the title in front of me um but it was a story about uh, a couple, um, and the the man in the couple dies early in the episode. He spent a lot of time on social media, as many of us do nowadays. Um, not not to a problematic degree, but a, a relatable degree. Um, and after losing him, she was introduced to this process where it, an, the algorithms could analyze all of his social media accounts and then create, recreate his personality so that she could text message with this uh, uh, manufactured version of her significant other. 
and she feels good about that and they offer her other upgrades to that process um, until it spirals out of control and it explores it explores many things but one of the things that really fascinated me was how the selves that we present on social media is not a true representation of ourselves now i'm i'm of the camp that says whenever you interact with anybody you're altering yourself you're only presenting parts of yourself so the only person that truly knows you as you is yourself um but it's interesting with the prevalence of social media to have this record of how you choose to present yourself on a regular basis um so that it was a really fascinating episode and hooked me right off the bat um another episode that was really cool was um kind of a, a horror episode in which um somebody has been traveling abroad gets his identity stolen his money and he can't get back home so he needs to find money well he he answers an ad to be a video game tester sounds like a good deal it's a lot of money for for him to just play with this new beta video game and it's a it's a new experiment in virtual reality all good all good what we're working on is an interactive augmented reality system like vr more like layers on top of reality okay um in which he the the protagonist is placed essentially in a haunted house told him that nothing can hurt him in it that it is all fictional but it is going to feel very real it's going to put you in the horror scenario um and it's him navigating um reality and it's surprisingly funny the the actor that that plays that guy brought a wonderful lightness to it that that set up the horror jumps you know the the dismissiveness that i know this is just a game i know this isn't real um that kind of gave you a nice deep breath before the scare and those stairs got more and more real and and it had wonderful tension and um yeah that one was less cerebral it it certainly had the the social commentary on technology but um just really well directed and uh really well executed that's what he introduced to me um i'm going to save my my biggest surprise for last so we'll jump to the one that i put on for us uh and that's an old classic inner space Hi, I'm unshaven and bedraggled Max Landis as he attempts to direct a movie while still recording videos for the internet. And this is Trailers from Hell. Today I'm talking to you about a movie that you actually might not have heard of because I never see it mentioned anywhere, which is really weird once you see it because it is like an iconic late, sort of late 80s, early 90s, like action romp. It's from Joe Dante who directed a lot of truly crazy movies, but this one is special because especially in his canon, it's really commercial. It, it's a movie that while you're watching it, 
feels even now like a movie that would come out today and be about like Seth Rogen and Channing Tatum instead of get this Martin Short and Dennis Quaid are in this movie and it's an action movie and Martin Short is like punching people. It's funny, but it's sincere. It's intense, but it's satiric. There's a sequence involving gastrointestinal juices that is deeply scary. Gastrointestinal juices, you say? How do those come to menace someone? Well, to be menaced by something like that, you'd have to be very, very small. Um, this is one that I used to have on VHS when I was a kid. Um, I believe it's from the late 80s, um, starring Dennis Quaid and Martin Short and Meg Ryan, um, in which test pilot Dennis Quaid uh, is part of an experimental program where um, he is put into a little like submersible pod. That pod is shrunken down and he's supposed to be injected into a rabbit uh, where he can go through the rabbit and test out all of this new technology. If any of you are familiar with the, I believe it's the 60s or early 70s film, uh, Fantastic Voyage, uh, similar, um, just with more 80s, late 80s corporate, corporate espionage thrown in. Um, instead of being injected into this rabbit through, through some... A series of circumstances he instead gets injected into martin short a hypochondriac which as you can imagine plays out really well um martin short is really funny but in a way that it's easy to gloss over he's not an in-your-face funny he's not a he doesn't take you by surprise he's nice guy funny um which can easily get glossed over but in inner space i think that brand of comedy really shined he he had a platform with which to really play out this nice guy bumbly funny that really worked well and um a lot of colorful characters almost bond-esque in their villainy uh one guy called uh well his license plate was snap on i don't remember the character's name but he without any explanation of why he's able to take off his hand and put on other hands and he can shoot like tranquilizer darts from his finger and and it's it's so wonderful that they never explain why he can do that um and then another character called the cowboy who comes in i believe he's hired by either uh the an insurance company or or the lab itself to try and track down this technology that's gone missing. Um, and it's played, but I don't have the actor's name in front of me, but it's the holographic doctor from Star Trek Voyager. Um, in a very different role in, in Voyager, he's very curmudgeon and and logical and, and very left-brained. And in this, he's eccentric and, and has this very strange accent. You know, when you hear the name the cowboy you're picturing like sam elliott or or john wayne and it's not he's wearing a cowboy hat but it's in this very eccentric role um just a lot of fun um i believe that was a, a lesser known steven Sp spielberg film that certainly captures that era of spielberg really well um so if you haven't seen inner space yet add it to your shame list um because it is a lot of fun. The next one, oh my god. <laughs> Prepare yourselves if you 
go out of your way to see this. It is well worth it. It is Michael Bolton's Valentine's Day special. Tonight we're going to get all of you out there lovemaking. So if you're not making love already, you will be soon. It is on, available on Netflix at the moment, directed by Scott Ackerman of Comedy Bang Bang and Akiva Schaefer, uh, who you may be aware uh, that, he, that, that Akiva is an Emmy winner for directing the SNL digital short Dick in a Box. Uh, definitely earned the Emmy on that one, and uh, it, it's an incredible short film. But anyway, back to Michael Bolton's Valentine's Day special. It was listed under comedy, and it's like, this looks so ridiculous. Like, why wouldn't I click on this? And that's what, what pulled me into it. Uh, if you've seen the... the um, Bill Murray Christmas special on Netflix. It kind of takes on a similar tone, but takes the silly to a new level. It starts out with a big musical number, as you would expect from a a holiday special hosted by Michael Bolton. Um, but then Santa Claus shows up in the Valentine's Day special. The opening song is about how um, what Valentine's Day means is that Christmas is only 10 months away. So then Santa approaches Michael Bolton, and he's like, Michael! I need your help to save Christmas. It's 10 months away, but the elves have made so many toys that somehow that's going to ruin Christmas. And the fact that they, again, never explain why that's a bad thing is one of the great elements to this humor, style of humor. Um, at which point Michael Bolton takes out a handgun, cocks it, loads the chamber, uh, and goes, Oh, Santa, you need me to kill the elves? And it's at that moment that you realize what you're about to be watching. And, and it's such a great turn. It happens soon enough that it's, or late enough that it's unexpected, but soon enough that you don't like go, oh, okay, why would I want to watch Michael Bolton sing for an hour and turn it off? Um, so the, the whole thing goes on like that. A lot of um, former SNL alums are, are guests on there. Um, only one playing herself, and that's Maya Rudolph. Everybody else plays a character. Uh, but the whole thing is hilarious with with just such an irreverent sense of humor that is so up my alley. It was just an hour of pure pleasure. Um, so <laughs> if, if you ever have the hour, I highly recommend do the Netflix search and watch Michael Bolton in at, at his finest. Um... So I'm not sure how long I've been going on for. My my opening rant I was hoping would be a little longer. <laughs> so this may be a short episode. Um, but uh, I'm really looking forward to our next episode. We both watched it. It's just a matter of Michael and I's schedules syncing up in a way that we can get it recorded. Um, it is a, uh, a love letter to the now late George Romero, uh, who is an important director in my life um, because of his, you know, the, the, what many people see as a special film in their hearts, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Um, we aren't going to be watching Night of the Living Dead. That is on neither of our shameless. We have both seen that many times. Uh, we're going to be hitting on one of his other films. But uh, for me... It was the first time I saw a horror film and thought about it on a deeper level. Because Night of the Living Dead is not about the zombies. 
it's what The Walking Dead does right that a lot of people complain about. They see the newer seasons of The Walking Dead and they're like, it sucks now because there aren't any zombies. There aren't as many zombies. It, it was never about the zombies. And that was so true of Night of the Living Dead. It was about the humanity that existed in that boarded up house. It was how those people related to each other when they were under that kind of pressure. And, uh, you know, George Romero will be missed. Um, and I think, in my opinion, he did not get... The, he, he was known as a prolific filmmaker, but he, all too often he was seen as a zombie film director and not a great film director. Um, perhaps I'm contradicting myself with my opening rant. Um, I, I don't believe I'm putting George up on a pedestal, um, but I do think his greatness uh, is, is sometimes glossed over because he's seen as just kind of a, you know, oh, that's the zombie movie guy. Um, and, and to clarify that point, I think you can be a, I think Shakespeare was a great writer. I think George Romero was a great director. Um, but, you know, that, that doesn't mean that there aren't flaws in all of that art that, that shouldn't be considered when analyzing their art. Um, but, so, you'll be missed. Um, you, you've put out many films that have meant something to me, so I, I'm really looking forward to our next episode, which will be episode 20. It's hard to believe we've gotten 20 of these things out. Anyway, thanks for listening. I hope you got something out of that. I'd love to know what you guys think um, about about the hero worship, uh, the the fanboy fangirl stuff, um, or if you know any good puns. I'd love to hear your puns. Uh, we'll be back with you in two weeks, as always. Um, where it'll it'll be good to get me and Michael back together again. And uh, until then, uh, you know, enjoy whatever it is you're watching and, and stay good.